Hi, I'm Sam. Hi, I'm Tamara Bartlett. And this is Fall Risk. Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of Fall Risk. <laughs> uh, we're back with another episode. Today, I am joined by Tamara Bartlett. Hi, Tamara. Hi, how's it going? How are you? I'm good. I mean, I just, I feel like I just saw you. Tamara is joining me after one of the uh, biggest events of Skydive Midwest's 2023 season, um, the double big way record event. Specifically, uh, Richo just explained to me what the <laughs> what the official title is for these two events, and I have completely forgot them. I will let you introduce uh, what event you were here for, if you don't mind. I don't mind even a little bit. Um, I was there for the Wisconsin Head Up co-ed record. We were trying to do, I think it was 34 people initially all on our feet with our heads up and our feet down and make a big formation and hold hands. But uh, we ended up with a 27 way. I think that's right. Yeah, we ended up with a 27 way in the end. Um, and then opposite us, I know the belly flyers were doing a total break event, which also is pretty awesome. I've never done one of those on my belly and I would like to at some point, but I've kind of drifted away from belly in the last few years. I'm sure I'll get back to it eventually. Uh, yeah. So this was the uh, very first time I've ever met you was at this event. Oh, well, you know what? I think I've seen you at different events like in the past. I just don't think we were ever formally introduced. Um, but uh, this was the first time we officially met, like face-to-face, name-to-name. Um, so everything that's about to happen on this podcast and all the things I'm about to hear and learn from you are all going to be brand new along with everyone listening. So, well, most people listening, maybe. Maybe not everyone. But it's very exciting. Yeah. Are you ready to get into it? Yeah, let's get into it. Awesome. Okay. So just to start, let's talk a little bit about your origin story. Let's talk about what year you started skydiving, how old you were, where you started, like the works. Sure. Yeah. Okay. I'll start from the beginning. I needed a tandem before I was able to start really getting into sport jumping. I honestly thought I would do a tandem and then I'd be done like, woo, did a tandem. But I liked it. I went down to Skydive San Diego. I was living in SoCal at the time and I loved it actually. So about six months later, I was like, maybe I'll do another one. I did another one and then I was like, I have to keep doing this. So because I was in the LA area, I talked to a cousin who was a skydiver. I was like, where do I go? How do I get my license? She said, go to Elsinore. And I went and I started my A license. And that was, let's see, 2014. Yeah, that was 2014. And I took six months to get my license because I was slow and petrified and had other stuff going on. I would show up every three weeks, do two to three jumps, get almost uncurrent and then try it again. You know, it was not the way I would recommend people do it now. It took me a long time to really fall in love with the sport. I knew I wanted to do it, but I was scared and really had a hard time finding community initially. After that, I moved to Northern California for work. I was a Byron jumper for like, I call them my Wahoo years, my Wahoo jumps. You know, when you've just gotten your A license until you have several hundred jumps and you do a lot of Wahoo skydives. I did those at Byron. Yes. It was just like, woo, we're doing, we're doing um, horny gorillas and we're doing odd man out and we're doing dancing spiders and we're just we're wahoo jumpers so i did that for yeah. most of my time at byron and then um i but i took a year off in 2015 essentially and then in 2016 i kind of got back into it it took a while because I, I didn't get year initially and didn't really know where to go and i didn't have a car for a while and i 
had so many barriers that I made for myself and getting into it. You you mentioned the um, the wahoo jumps. I feel like everybody has that experience at some point. Like just usually, like what what do you, what do you think? Like a hundred to three hundred jumps? Yeah, I'd say somewhere. Yeah, I, yeah, it's pretty right? good. And if you make it past that phase, I feel like you're you know what I mean. Like yeah. you make it past that wahoo jump, like and you start doing other things past that. I feel like you've kind of made it. So like. I'm sure every, I'm sure there's a lot of people listening to right now that cannot empathize with that. Like, oh, I think I'm in that phase right now. Or like, yeah, I remember that. That's that's cool. I like that phrase, wahoo jumps. Yeah. That's and, you know, that. I think it's interesting because it's very easy as you get experienced in skydiving to kind of disdain people in that phase. You're like, oh, those people are fucking doing horny. Uh, I'm sorry. Should I just curse? I probably shouldn't curse on this. I don't care. Okay. You do what you want to do. <laughs> it's really easy to disdain people and say, oh, they're doing the, what's the the wheel jump where you've got the three people holding each other's leg straps and you tumble out like a wheel doing like that, that. Yeah. or sit drains or all these. It's really easy to be like, oh, they're not being safe or being real dumb. And, oh. But honestly, <laughs> I love that period of time and i am so thrilled for when i see people doing that stuff i'm like hey you want to know a fun exit you want to know a ridiculous game to play have you guys done underwear you know i love to give people those ideas <laughs> actually so I, I my home dz now is in tracy at skydive california and a lot of the experienced jumpers got to talking recently and we realized some people hadn't done some of those like you know those really fundamental wahoo jump things so we're going to have a day where we, that's all we do. Like everybody with like, you know, hundreds of jumps comes out and we're just going to do the most wahoo stuff we can think of. I'm so excited for it. <laughs> that sounds great. That sounds like, man. And you know what? You're going to give those jumpers, like all those skydivers such a good day, like to remember. They're going to, they're going to remember that for a really, really, really long time. And it's going to make like a core memory for people. That's, that's awesome. That's yeah. Super cool. I'm pretty stoked for it. It's, it's going to be awesome. Um, how many jumps do you think you've accumulated? Do you still keep track? I do. I log every two to three weeks. I kind of clump them up and then log Mm -hmm. them. Uh, I'm probably in the 220 to 2300, sorry, 2300 to 2200 range, somewhere in there. That's impressive. Very cool. They just, they, I didn't think I'd get there. Didn't think (laughs) when I hit 500, I was like, yeah, that's amazing. I am so impressed with myself. And now I'm like, wow, how did I get here? This is crazy. They just keep adding up faster and faster too. Yeah, with thousands of skydives. That's cool that you still log too. There's so many people once they hit like a certain a certain number where they're like, meh, don't really care anymore. Like I'm not interested in doing it. So props, props to you for still taking the time to like log it. I have a very tiny little safe at home where I keep like my birth certificate <laughs> and stuff and my log books go in there. There's, it's like birth certificate, social security <laughs> card, log books. That's it. That's awesome. <laughs> That's great. Uh, if you had to guess, how much tunnel time do you think you probably have under your belt? Well, that's a hard one. I probably have about, I'd say I have about 80 to 100 hours on my belly because I've done a lot of belly. And then I mm-hmm. probably have racked up another 50 to 70 uh, in vertical Okay. Yeah. So let's say let's say just round up to around two hundred split between both disciplines. Okay. That's impressive. I don't log that. I should have. That probably would have been more useful, but whatever. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty impressive. Um not a ton of people can say that they've put that much time and effort and money into uh into the indoor into the tunnel. The tunnel. How much of that do you think is solo time versus like coach time versus uh like team time or uh group time? Oh yeah, that's a good question. It is vastly heavyweight on the 
team time. I have done a lot of team training. And if anyone is like, I'm too broke for tunnel, I just don't have enough money, get on a four way team and then split it four ways. That is the way to do it. It is so much yeah. cheaper when you divide by four. Um, Cause yeah. I've been on two, two four way belly teams with no, th- well, two outdoor belly teams, one indoor belly team with serious tunnel time. And then two, one eight way team with some serious tunnel time. If you want to split, if you want to make tunnel cheap, eight ways the way to go. But also, um, when I was living in Colorado, I was started running some regular belly nights of the tunnel. They weren't totally NCSL um, or NSL, the National Skydiving League. Are you familiar with that? Yep. Yeah. So they weren't totally NSL, but they were NSL adjacent. When I started organizing, we didn't really have people at the skill level to quite do four ways. So we started with two ways and three ways. And then we got to four ways. And so when I was organizing that, it was very easy to accumulate time because I was charging just enough for the event to cover the time in my own slot. And that was it. So I got some free time with that. Yeah. And you don't even necessarily need to do four way either, especially when you start getting into like the uh, um, the vertical stuff. You know, you could fly the two way draw, like the two way VFS draw. You could do, you know, you could do belly and back. You could do intermediate advance like they're all there. So if you. For a lot of people, I feel like they say some stuff like, well, there's just not a lot of people at my similar level. Like, yeah, you, yeah, there are. And you don't necessarily need a, an entire four-way team to go and practice and still make it somewhat affordable. Totally. So, Absolutely. Yeah. And you don't – I mean, huck jams are great. Um, if you can get to a tunnel that has huck jams where you can go in and just fly in your feet with somebody and do like right-handed flower spin, left-handed flower spin on your feet, that's a great way to practice. There's so many fun ways to do it. Draws are good. I mean, there's so many resources out there. Yeah. Splitting yeah. time, that's key. Split split the time, guys. That's a great great piece of advice. Um, have you hopped around a lot from drop zone to, to drop zone, like in terms of like home places, or have you mostly stayed in the same place? I've hopped around quite a bit. As an adult, I really thought I would settle down somewhere and it never happened. So I, I spent a <laughs> significant amount of time. I've never lived anywhere for more than about two years straight that's going to change. We just bought a house in NorCal. So I'm going to be skydive Cal for a long time going forward. But I, congrats, by the way. Thank you. Uh, Elsinore was a home for me for my A license. Byron, I jumped in Colorado for several years. And when I was there, I hopped between mile high. I never really felt like my home base, but out of the blue when they were in Calhan was like a big, that was another bit of my Wahoo phase. I kind of moved my Wahoo phase to Colorado and that was <laughs> Wahoo phase number two. That was excellent. I really, a big part of my heart is still out of the blue. I was like, oh, I love that place. Um, Orange skies in Colorado. And then when I was jumping in Colorado, I was seriously team training both in Eloy and Paris. So while I was never located in those places, they still were felt like home to me. I knew tons of people there. I knew all the staff and the packers and the jumpers. And then I moved back to Southern California after Colorado. That was like during the pandemic. And I moved there with the intention of getting good at free flying. And so then it was like a Paris Elsinore phase again. And now I'm back in NorCal. So kind of a big loop through there. Okay. With all the requisite boogies and events and blah, blah, blah. Okay. Do you feel like you get something different out of traveling around a lot? in your skydiving career in comparison to sticking around in the same spot? Totally. I do. Um, I mean, I wouldn't give anybody advice on whether they should or shouldn't do it. It's such a, does it work with your life thing? But yeah, you just meet so many more people and you see so many more ways to jump. You see different safety cultures, which is fascinating. 
you see the different event structures, like everything from DZs with little organizers to DZs without. You see things mm-hmm. like small record events to sis boogies. And so the more you can just go sample the different things other drop zones have to offer, at least then you'll be able to kind of decide what you like. You don't have yeah. to decide what you like based on a very narrow window of options. Yeah, that's fair. Good advice, guys. Uh, do you have any ratings? Two lapsed ones. I had my coach rating and I <laughs> used that a lot and it just lapsed because I guess it was probably around COVID I let it lapse. I think I actually let it lapse because I had to go get a physical signature from somebody and that seemed like too much effort. <laughs> That's a terrible <laughs> reason to let it lapse. Um, I, that one is one I plan on getting at some point again, just because somewhat, someday I want to get my AFF, still haven't. I did get my TI rating and I literally nice. never took a paying customer. <laughs> Oh no! I oh all that all that work, girl. I, I was oh. one of the lucky few people who got a uh, scholarship through the Women's Skydiving Network when they were doing that program, okay. and I thought it was it was pretty cheap at the time. Like it wasn't free, but it was quite cheap. And I was like, this would be an awesome experience. I think I'd like to do this. My mistake was I timed it really poorly because I was living in Colorado and I did my course in like October. Then the season in Colorado ended. So then by the time that like six months of kind of uh, what I forget what they call it, but the six months where you have to, you're kind of like under a watchful eye of people. By the time that was ending. Probationary period. Yeah. Yeah. Probationary. Thank you. Thank you. That was in April. And that was when the season was starting again. And I had like one weekend that I would have had to do a tandem. And I was like too scared (laughs) that I can't do it. No, thank you. So sadly I let it lapse. I think. Maybe if I had planned better, I would have done it differently and I I would mm-hmm. have gotten into doing tandems. I think it's a great way for women to see other women throwing drugs. It's awesome. It is mm-hmm. hard work, super hard work. And I think it'd be really rewarding. Like I would love to take first timers and they're like, hey, you're doing this? Absolutely. You can too. You want to come learn how to skydive? Like I think it really helps to be able to see people like you doing the thing you want to do for you to even get the idea that you can do that, you know? So women TIs are awesome. I have so much respect for the ladies who are out there doing that. That's cool. I am very impressed though with like the women's skydiving network and Angie Aragon and how much um, time and effort she's put into like producing more female instructors. It is very cool seeing so many of my friends from other places get their ratings and like actually, you know, you know what I mean? Like keep pursuing it. Um, it is a very, very cool feeling to see more and more women kind of rising, rising up through the ranks a little bit and uh, learning how to do this. Like you said, very difficult, very difficult job. So yeah. Impressive. And I, I think there's such a big thing about it that it's the community, right? It's not having tons of women TIs at your drops and that makes a difference, but it's having a network of other women that you can reach out to and be like, hey, yeah. I'm struggling with this particular aspect of being a TI. Did you go through that? What did you think? Having the people that you can reach out to talk to, having that same similar experience makes a big difference, whether it's TIs or AFFIs mm-hmm. or just having people like you that you can talk to about it. And so, man, the yeah. Women's Skydiving Network has done so many good things for me because I did that. And then are you familiar with the Mobile Mentors program that they did? No, I am not. So for a while, um, Christy and Jeanette, Christy Fricken and Jeanette Lefkowitz, both obviously some of the most badass women in skydiving, in my opinion. Christy is one of my biggest mentors and biggest she has one of the biggest impacts on my whole career um, of anybody on skydiving but they put together a curriculum and it was basically 
how do you go and coach belly skills like generically? And so they came, they put a curriculum together. They, and then women would fly out to do a class with them. And it was like classroom work where you practiced. How do I brief exits? How do I brief, um, you know, the formations, how to brief body position, how to brief tracking and just like a really comprehensive way to talk about skydives for beginner belly flyers with the intention of then women would come to this course, kind of learn how to do this organizing or learn how to do this coaching and then take it back to boogies and their home events and do traveling events. I don't think it maybe quite traveled as well as they wanted to, but it, it left me. So I went through this, I think you were supposed to have 500 skydives and I was able to sneak in with like 450 or 425. <laughs> and it gave me such a good base of knowledge to then feel like I was prepared to go coach people. So then I got into load organizing and I felt like I was really well equipped. So doing that, that was actually one of the biggest impacts on my belly career overall. It was awesome. Actually, when people are like, what is your most memorable skydive? There was one jump we did there that cements in my head. It was happened to be over my birthday weekend. And so there was like six of us ladies and um, I'm trying to remember who was all on it. But everyone was quite experienced. Lauren Bird, she was a local at you know Skydive Midwest. Mm-hmm. Um, six of us ladies had been doing classroom work all day, whatever. But I'm like, it's my birthday. I'd love to do a skydive. Can we do a skydive? And they're like, we'll fit one in. So, you know, the time kept kind of ticking, ticking, ticking. And finally, they're like, we're putting us on a load. We're on a 10-minute call. 10-minute call. We started walking a six-way. We had a 12.6-way. It was insane. I was like, <laughs> I have never done a 12-way skydive in my life. And it was awesome. Oh my God. I was like, people can fly this well with just, you know, no preparation. It was, I was blown away and it was truly one of my best skydives ever. So that mobile mentor, mobile mentor, like experience plus women's skydiving network, huge, huge benefactor to me. I I love that women's skydiving network has done so many good things. That sounds like a really cool program, and I wish there were more events like that where people could intentionally go out and learn how to be leaders, not necessarily just learn the skills, but learn how to be a leader. Like, I feel like that might be one of those things that we we lack right off the bat. I feel like so many instructors when they first get, or instructors or coaches or organizers, whoever, right? Like when they first get put into a role like that, they have a, a tr- like a a trial and error period where they're kind of learning, you know, as they go and they're trying things out and they're seeing things that work and things that don't work. And I feel like if we had more of a mentorship program like that, just like widespread across skydiving as a community, I feel like we would be able to get people from A to B a lot faster, you know, and then not only that, but then get your students and the people that you're jumping with and all those people a lot quicker along. You would waste less time, waste less money, you know, like, but that's just me. Totally. I agree. I think that structure kind of program of how to coach is amazing. It's, I would love to see something bigger kind of permeate the whole sport, but wow, those are pipe dreams. We'll see if that ever happens. Yeah. I mean, like someone's got to do it too, you know, like someone's got to stop and say like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to create this kind of program. And then you have to get enough people into it and interested in, in like this idea that I will teach you how to be a teacher kind of thing. Um, and then within that, like people have to be accepting of the fact that they don't understand how to teach things, you know? And so they have to be a little bit more open. Like there's, there's quite a lot uh, that goes into something like that, I think. And you're right. It's a little bit of a pipe dream sometimes, I think, depending on the situation. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Someday. Um, what made you want to get into skydiving? What made you want to do this? Well, the first tandem was like a opportunity thing. I 
lived far enough away from my parents at the time that I felt like I could get away with it without having to worry my mother because she's a chronic worrier. So I didn't really tell her <laughs> till afterwards. I had enough money because I just graduated college and I had a stable job and I was like, why not? And then what got me into sport jumping was just, I remember being on my tandem and then when they did a big toggle turn, I was just, I, the feeling in my stomach was awesome. I was like, I don't know why this is amazing. I just feel like I'm, this whole thing feels like I'm flying. I just feel so, I don't know. I just, it, the physical sensations of skydiving and probably the adrenaline rush also was awesome. And then like throughout my career, the things that have kept me continuing in skydiving, it, I think it's just the challenge of refining new skills. And as an adult, like I have a lot of hobbies that require refining skills. Like I, I cook a lot and I sew and I knit. And so I have these skills and I really enjoy having a skill and continuing to tweak it and learn more and things. But as an adult, I don't have as many physical skills or opportunities to do physical skills as I used to. Like I used to play soccer and basketball and softball growing up. And now I don't do those things because I'm lazy. I mean, I do a little bit of yoga, but I'm also <laughs> lazy. And skydiving is both the adrenaline and that opportunity to just keep honing all these skills. And it's it's really fun for me. Plus, it's also, I think the thing that keeps me in it is it's both a mental mental thing and physical skill. Like it's, I wouldn't call it a, sometimes I'm like, it's not a sport because like I don't feel like I use my muscles. In the, no, anyway, we can argue that later. But it definitely <laughs> requires my brain to be really active, especially in competition skydiving. It makes me think yeah. a lot. So I like how much I'm using my brain to visualize and plan and, and that stuff when I do skydiving. And I think all those things have kept me in it and kept me pursuing the next goal. Every, every time I get bored of a different part of skydiving, I try something new. That is uh, one of the nice things about skydiving that I feel like some people, when they're, when they're stuck in one place, they don't necessarily get to see because they're, you know, they're, their horizon is only so, you know what I mean? Like, uh, but in terms of how many different things you can try in skydiving to keep it exciting and to not get burned out. You know, like there's so many different things you can try. There's so many different avenues that you can go down to make it more exciting and to keep yourself in it, you know, like day to day to day. I, th I feel like there's a lot of missed opportunities, especially for folks who are, who are stuck in one place. Yeah. I think it's, so I was bad at this when I was newer. I don't know what your listenership is as far as like their experience level and stuff, but I found that when I was a newer skydiver, I didn't seek out different things to broaden my horizon. I happened upon them because somebody would say, let's go do this event. I'm like, what is that? Or let's go try this thing. What is that? I had friends who were that kind of curious, but I didn't spend any time on the dropzone.com forums. I didn't really go search out information. I think that that is the way you find the cool stuff. That's how you do it. But you have to also have the incentive to do it, which you know depends. So actually what I would recommend Find a friend who's super excited about doing that and just latch on tight and then have them drag you to all the stuff. Dude, I feel you. I mean, I think I think one of the things that keeps so many people from doing it is because it's such a cost, costly sport, you know, like it's sometimes really as as someone who has done solo trips by myself and paid for all of the things out of pocket all on my own. Like I understand how draining and limiting you know going and traveling to different skydiving events can be because it's like I I basically like had this rule of like if I'm going by myself I'm spending at least $1,300 on just getting there right like so the hotel food gas car rental like all those things like I am spending at least $1,300 to just get there not including you know jumps registration fees like 
all that stuff. So um, the idea of buddying up, you know, and like latching onto someone who's also interested in those things, like that is a good way to do it. Uh, figuring out how to make this more cost effective by traveling with other people and totally you know, like that's a that's a great way to do it. I have been in that same spot too. I I vividly remember one trip. I don't remember what I was what I was in Paris for, but I was so cheap that I was just going to rent a car and sleep in the car. And so I went to the grocery <laughs> store trying to figure out what snacks I could get that weren't going to go bad. And I was like, I need something kind of vegetable. What could that be? I got a jar of pickles, not really vegetable. And also I think you're supposed to refrigerate them, whatever. I had them in the car. I was driving. The lid was not on tight. They fell over the whole car. smelled oh, like no. pickles the whole trip. And I was sleeping in this car and I was like, pickles were haunting my dreams. It was. Oh no. So Yes. For all the reasons, for cost, for your own sanity, so you sleep well, don't sleep in a car that smells like pickles, get a friend. And actually, man, dude, the more you travel, the more you meet people, the more you meet people, the more you say, hey, I'm going to be in this city. Are you going to this event? Mm -hmm. Let's team up. Or, hey, I'm going to be in your city. Can I, you know, hang out with you? So, like, put yourself out there and make those connections because it makes it better, too. That's my other thing for people as they, like, start getting into the sport. Go out of your way to make connections because then you can kind of cut down on some of your costs by making friends and hanging out with your friends in other places. Yeah, absolutely. Great advice. Great advice. Listen to it. Listen to her, people. That being said, let's talk a little bit about what skydiving, your skydiving trajectory in terms of like skill sets has, like what that's been like so far. Like I know you were, you mentioned that you were involved in establishing like tunnel events for a really long time at iFly. Like you've talked about, um, being on a belly team on a free fly team and you've done a little bit of big ways but like what has your skydiving trajectory looked like in your opinion like is it has it been super streamlined you talked a little bit about how you maybe stopped for a little while and took a break and then came back to it um okay because so this is this is a huge thing that I love to talk about I love to rant about this one people come up to me all the time at my home dc and they're like hey I don't have enough money to do one-on-one one-on-one stuff in the tunnel with people. I can't keep progressing my skills that way. I want to get better. What do I do? And I'm like, I know what you should do. And you know, these are people with 100, 200, 300 jumps. I have a, I have an opinion for you. And this is an unpopular opinion. I say, get on a four-way belly team. You don't have to travel. You don't have to go to nationals. You don't have to do anything like that. But you just need to come out to the weekend, the drop zone. One or two weekends a month with your your local team, do some jumps, and then get consistency. Because honestly, when you're kind of in that wahoo phase and you want to be good at free flying, whatever, getting consistency with the same group of jumpers and working on some skills like the basics of like level slot dock with like four people that you're very comfortable with, three people you're very comfortable with. And like learning how to do that is important. Then also learning how to I don't know, this is going to go very feely for a second. Learning how to deal with your feelings of frustration uh, when you're super amped, when you're super excited, when you're frustrated or you're in a bad mood or hungry or thirsty. Learning how to deal with all those emotions and also have a constructive skydive and fly through that to be, you know, perform for your team. Those things are great. So my skill, my skill set thing, the way like my progression went was I was doing Wahoo jumping and then I happened to get on a eight-way team out of Paris with Chrissy Frickin. She did a player coach team. She's like, you want to do it? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. It was spendy. That was one of those things that I'm like, I was lucky to be able to have the money to go do that. 
But I was like, oh, I see the benefits of doing team training. And so I got into belly and it helped me really hone things like fine motor skills from movement. Like belly skydiving, all about butt awareness. You have to know where the hell your butt is and when it comes to the skydive because to be in the wrong place and can't, people can't take the grip. Anyway, so got my butt awareness down. And as I was doing that, I was really honing the skills of like seeing stuff on the skydive. I mean, jumps one through 500, you're really just working on being able to be aware of everything happening in the skydive. And so honestly, for a while, just do belly jumps, do lots of belly jumps, and then maybe do a team, maybe don't do a team and play around with some free fly, but like, don't get too hung up on it. But my progression was eight way team. And then after that, I got on a local four way team where we trained a little bit locally, but also traveled a lot to Eloy. And then from there, I, and kind of like during that period, I was trying to do some free fly jumps in the tunnel or free fly training in the tunnel. I was in my sit and I could not nail my head down transitions. This is 2017, could not do it, was just so frustrated. I was going to the tunnel every week for like 10 or 15 minutes and I was just stuck. It was like a plateau. It was just, I was kind of steady progress plateau. And then I just said, I'm done with this. I'm never doing this again. I hate this. I'm going to go get so good at belly. I'm going to go win some stuff. And so I went and did belly for a couple of years and I got quite good. Like I went through, I won an intermediate silver in 2019, um, which was huge. We were, because it was huge because we were a, we were not the world's most capable or talented team, but we flew so well as a team. We worked so hard to be there for each other and encourage each other. And we did everything we could possibly do to make ourselves succeed. Like before we got on the airplane, we even were talking about, okay, what are our key points for block technique? What is our key points for exit technique? Like we went through this conversation out loud, which is, it seems a little bit overblown, but boy, it paid off. We got a silver and we should not have gotten that silver. We thought we were going to be mid-pack that year. So we got a silver that year. The next year, I mean, that fall, then I got invited to be on a uh, high-level women's four-way belly team, um, XPG4, for like a winter season, kind of with the intention of going on to the outdoor season. And we, I put in like 10 or 12 hours within like three months of, you know, one-on-one, two-on-two in four-way practice, learning a new slot, learning the open dive pool. Got really good, won a gold in women's and indoor in 2020, right before the pandemic. Oh my gosh, that was kind of a crazy intersection of all that happening. And then at the end of that competition, they're like, well, we don't think you have what it takes. You can continue if you want, but we don't think you have what it takes. And I thought, well, I know I have what it takes. However, I refuse to be on a team with people who don't believe in me. So I guess I'm done with this. And after that, I mean, there's obviously more story behind that. And um, there's there's lots of details just glossing over. But after that, I was like, well, what do I do now? Because I don't, I was literally flying with some of the most capable women in skydiving. And I didn't have a great connection to other women who were looking for a team. And I didn't really know what to do. So I just said, well, fuck this. I'm going back to free fly. And so I... <laughs> figured out those sit to head down transitions. And then I thought, well, maybe I'll try and get a project need project 19. So then I went on that whole thing. So honestly, Mm -hmm. I guess maybe I'm saying there's some value in quitting. It's very good to say this thing is not working well for me. I'm going to quit and try something else for a while. Yeah. Switching gears, right? (laughs) Absolutely. It's good to switch gears when you're stuck. That's okay. First, there's so much to unpack there. Oh my God. All right. For, before I get into any of the actual, like 
fuck those ladies, whoever they are. I don't know who you are, but like that is harsh as fuck. Like that is not nice at all. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Man. If you don't think you have what it takes, like, oh my God. High level, like the highest level of belly is brutal. They are. Like Jesus. not just those, them per, per, per specifically, but high level belly is brutal and mean. There is a lot yeah. of ego. There's, There's a lot of competition. There is some stomping on each other. It is brutal. Jesus Christ. So, oh my God. man, the other thing is I, after that experience and my other ex- versus my 2019 experience with that intermediate team that we won silver, dude, I can tell yeah. you, if you're going to invest the time and money to do a team, pick people that you enjoy spending time with. Yeah. Not pick someone that you're like, well, they're a good flyer, but I hate them. Do not do that. Do not invest your time in them. Pick your friends, pick people. I mean, maybe not just your friends, but pick people who you enjoy hanging out with that have the inclination to learn because you don't like them and they're going to be mean to you it is not worth your time yikes that is that's toxic as fuck fuck that no way uh okay that being (laughs) said jeez i could sit here and like be like what the fuck (laughs) that's awful i'm an incredibly good tail flyer now in four-way because of it man (laughs) dump 10 to 12 hours in the tunnel into tail and end up all right but still i don't know if it's worth it there's so many like there's so many things wrong with that statement, especially being an all women's team. It's like there's so few women in this sport that want to go the distance and do like and they want to get as good as they can. And like for you to treat other women like that, I don't give a shit what level you're at. Like I don't give a flying fuck for you to for you to treat another woman who is trying to do her best and trying to push and like meet your fucking expectations for you to say something like that to them. Fuck you. Like I don't want to be your friend. Get the fuck out of here. That's awful. I'm it, it was brutal. Right. Well, on the plus right. side, it was literally a 180 degree turn to Project 19. So, you know, I'm I was I mean, on Project 19 last year and like that yeah. was just a whole 180. And so like, yeah, you know, there's good, there's bad in the sport. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, good for you. Good for you going on to Project 19. I think that's where you and I like kind of I think that's where I met you not, not met you but saw you the first time and I remember the jumpsuit like I can't you can't forget that jumpsuit like there you know that's how I think I remembered you when you were here too as well um and then other details started to come back together like the hair and the you know the smile and all that stuff so anyway um there were a couple of things that you talked about before uh like at the very very beginning of that um you talked about finding people that you really enjoy flying with yes um, not, not just, uh, finding really, uh, people that you enjoy flying with, but also making sure that you're flying consistently with the same people, you know, yes. uh, like that will improve your skill set so much in a way that most people probably don't realize. And it's something I didn't realize until just recently, until like the last few years is that if you're flying consistently with the same people and over and over and over again, you know what to expect, you know, you're, you're somewhat, you're flying consistently in the same slot. So you're starting to get really, really good at that exact same thing. You're flying the same stuff over and over and over and over again. Like your, your skill set dramatically increases when the setting and the situation is consistent. Like I think the reason Wahoo jumps don't get you where you want is because it's always different. It's always with different people. The skill sets are always changing. You're, what you're doing is always changing and it's not, it's just not consistent enough for you to keep making reps and if you if you think about any other sport in the world like for example the one that comes up for me is tennis right in high school my tennis coach was like you're never going to get your serve down unless you do a whole bunch of reps and you have to do 1400 of these reps exactly the same way for you to get that serve down 
right? Mm-hmm. So like we would just do rep after rep after rep and eventually your serve got to be got to a point where it was like, okay, like this is a pretty decent serve now, right? And now we can start finessing things from there. But I think that same idea really applies to skydiving and, and it was a great way to explain it is like pick a group of people and I don't know if it necessarily needs to be four people, mm-hmm. but pick a group of people that you are consistently flying with every single week, whether it's in the tunnel or it's in the sky and watch your skill set and dramatically improve um, as you go. You know, um, I think that was a really, really good, a really, really good takeaway from that. One thing that I have felt self-conscious about throughout skydiving, which is dumb. I, I am a plan the dive, dive, the plan person. I'm like, let's figure out what we're going to do. Let's have some formations. Let's just work through the formations. Let's do drills. Man, I love a good skydive where it's like, I do a 360, you wait in place. You do a 360, you wait in place. I love those drills. And I've always felt self-conscious about being like, hey, do you two want to do a three-way drill? Do you two want to practice 360s? It sounds lame. It sounds so boring. There's no adrenaline in it. There's no like stoke factor. You're not like, wow, (laughs) cool stuff. You're just doing 360s or transitions, but oh boy. Like you said, the repetition factor of like serve after serve after serve, 360 after 360 after 360 will will just hone your skills like crazy. And yeah. so I just want to tell people, if you feel self-conscious about it, about saying, I want to do drills, I want to have this discipline, there are other people out there like you. It is me. I am your people. So I don't know, feel brave, <laughs> feel brave enough to just say, let's do some drills. A lot of people are just happy yeah. to have someone to jump with and someone else planning. So if you want to do drills and you want to get better, propose it. And uh, yeah, you yeah. should. Don't feel I think, self-conscious. I think, I think the vast majority of skydivers um, are in it to have fun, mm-hmm. right? Like the vast majority of skydivers. Like there's 40,000 of us in the U.S. right now, roughly, right? Uh, a vet, like so many of them are just in it to have fun. It's this really cool hobby. They're probably only going to be in it for three to five years, like max. Like most people phase out after that point. Like very few of them are lifers like us, you know, where we're, we've been doing it for years and years and years and have no intention of stopping. Um, and there's a fine line between – I think I think there's something to what you said like like I want you to continue to progress and everybody at their at their core wants to get better and better and better at this for whatever reason they want to look cool they want to have the skill set like whatever the reason is right they all want to Im- keep improving to some extent and it's so depending on who the person is or depending on what the group wants to do like there's a fine line between let's have some fun but let's also fucking learn some stuff you know like let's get better at what it is we're doing while also having a good time and I think I think from like our perspective, because I know you're a coach too as well. I know you've been a coach in the tunnel like for years and years. Um, I think to some extent, figuring out what that balance is, is kind of like an art form. It's kind of like you're, you're getting really good at being able to read the room and figure out like, how do I teach them something and let them practice their skill set, but also have a good time and feel like they you know, had fun. So there's, there's a balance to it. And what I think, oh, I remember what I, I remember the, the second point I wanted to touch on. Um, you talked about your emotions ruling the day about how sometimes your frustration can get like the better of you. Dude, I empathize with that so hard. <laughs> like I, I've put a ton of time and effort into practicing and getting better and keeping like a progression going and like learning new things. And Sometimes there's a break in between like for right like right now what's happening is I went to Project 19 camps. I got really good at doing big ways. I say that in quotations because they were only ever one one plane shots. But 
I went to those events. I got really good at a skill set that I did not have prior to going to those events, right? I worked on it in the tunnel. I I did drills by myself in the tunnel. I had other tunnel instructors in the tunnel with me like during our downtime while at Minneapolis and we were practicing and working on these things. I took skills that I had from those camps and showed other people. So I worked a whole bunch on it and then I ran out of money and I stopped doing those camps and stopped doing those uh, like like training for those those events as much. And now I'm back out here at Skydive Midwest with the intention to learn more about those and get better and better and better at those types of skydives. And I feel like I stalled. And sometimes I get so frustrated if I come down from a jump and I feel like I learned nothing or like I didn't do anything to like practice that skill set or I didn't nail I just get so frustrated because I feel like I should be better than I am like or I'm I'm I should be performing better than I than I do because I've got that prior skill set but like being able to rein that frustration in and not let it rule your entire day you know after the fact like is a super super good skill set to have it comes with, I feel like it just comes with trial and error though, or like life changes. Like I, I feel like if you had put me in this situation four years ago, it would have been a totally different situation. But there is something to be said about how experience that frustration, set it aside, go off and do your next skydive, like try and try and be, try and do something different or something better than uh, you did on the last jump. And I, I just had that situation happen to me yesterday. <laughs> uh, Matt Congdon and uh, Keith George and Austin George, like we all went out and did uh, a couple of free fly jumps where I worked on diving and approaching the formation. Um, something that I'm super rusty with and like the first jump sucked. <laughs> the second jump sucked and the third jump was finally good. But like even though it wasn't perfect, like I'm like, okay, I got to think about something that I did well on this skydive and then now think about all the things that I need to improve on the next jump and like keep going. You know, like you got to rein, figure out how to rein that frustration in. <sighs> Whether it's telling yourself you're still working on things, telling yourself that there's always going to be someone better. So it's like perfection isn't going to be necessarily the thing that you're, you want to be aspiring to all the time. Whatever it is you got to say to yourself to like get yourself to like come down from that, like, you know, that frustration. It's so hard. Oh my gosh. Yes. I absolutely know. I am a beat myself up if I screw up person and I'm getting better, but it is so hard, right? And you're right. It's hard to figure out like what I, it's so individual, like what nugget of truth is going to make you feel better, whether it's focusing on the good thing you did or focusing on the thing you want to prove that's like so minor. You're like, okay, well, I didn't do perfect on that one, but you know what I'm going to do this next one? I'm going to really focus on keeping my chin down or like when head down, you know, if I can head down, keeping the chin in or like keeping like my feet still. Picking your like one tiny improvement and just being like, you know what? That's the thing I care about. I'm going to do that one next jump and I'm not even going to worry about how this one. Yeah. I used to be such a pill when I would come down for a jump and not perform well. I remember when I was in my Wahoo jumper stage at Byron and we would do tracking jumps. And I would get dusted, just dust. I still get dusted on angles quite often, just totally left behind. But I would come down and I would just be a pill. I would be so pissed at myself pissed at everybody else, pissed at the world. And it's taken me a long number of years to be like, you know what, no matter how 
valid that frustration is. Like, it's totally valid to be pissed and be frustrated and be mad. People don't want to jump with you if you're being that pissed. Yeah. So it's just not, I don't say hide it. I don't say force it down. I just say spend, now this is what I do. All of my emotions, I feel them in, during my pack job. So I do my skydive, <laughs> I come in and I, I only pack for myself. The only reason I will have a packer is if probably I have died and someone needs to pack up my rig <laughs> or I'm doing team training where I'm doing back-to-backs and I have to have a packer, but otherwise I pack for myself. And that is the time I feel my feelings. I just get to, if I, I could even cry in a pack job if I want to, I could cry. I could, I could be, if I feel like screaming, I will. I have never done that, but I could. So I get to feel them all. And then my goal is by the time I put it in the bag and I'm putting away that pilot shoot, I stand up and I'm going to try and be, as pleasant as I can, no matter how frustrated I am, because this is all in good fun. Yeah. There's always more skydives. Yep. There's always better people. There's always worse people. And like, it's always a spectrum. So that's, mm-hmm. if you see me with my headphones on while I'm packing, you know, it's probably a bad jump because I am probably yeah. getting some stuff out. Yep. I do that actually that same exact thing where I'm like stewing and stewing and stewing while I'm packing and I'm fucking just pissed and angry about it. And then I get up and I'm like, Okay, go over to that person that organized that jump and go, all right, let's do another one. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Like, just, let's just do another one. Let's do it again. Like, do it again. Do another rep. Do it again. <laughs> like, it doesn't matter how bad it was. As long as you were safe, like, just, let's do another one. Do another one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. It's uh, easier said than done, you know? Like, not letting that get the best of you. Um, also, having a good sense of humor about it is, is pretty good. I, uh, yeah. So I was on my, it was at the point where I was being able to do head down jumps. I was on my head in the tunnel. I was figuring out how to go that, that transition stage where you're like, I'm on my head in the tunnel, being able to exit and then get on my head in the sky is like hard. So I was doing that. And so we did an exit where we did a head down exit and then we were going to move as an angle. And I think it was like a four way. And, uh, I just, I only vividly remember this jump so much because when we came down, I made a drawing of it. This was when I lived in Colorado. And it was my, the drawing of the skydive was what I saw. And that was the mountains in the distance and three little dots where all my friends had just gone on an angle. And I was like, I can't figure out how to do this. And I was just, I was just vertical going straight down and they were just off in the distance. And I was so mad, but I was like, I got to make this funny. So I made a drawing of it and I still think I have a picture of it somewhere. <laughs> Story of me getting dusted. Do- yeah. Whatever you got to do to laugh about it, you know, like in the grand scheme of things, how successful you are on these practice training skydives, you know, like in the grand scheme of things, it really doesn't matter a lot, you know, uh, for a lot of different types of skydivers. But, you know, like always have goals, always keep pushing yourself, but don't like that frustration can just ruin your day. And like you said, it can just make you impossible to skydive with for other people. Like it ruins, it ruins the the vibe. It ruins the mentality. Like it's just like, it can, it can make this such a hard place to be if you're not careful. And like, <sighs> Ask other people. Ask other people how they deal with it, I guess. Like, if you see somebody else on the drop zone who just constantly seems like they've got their shit together, like, go and ask that person. Like, how how do you handle this? Like, when this when this occurs, like, how do you not struggle with this? Whatever the question, whatever the whatever the idea is, like, go and ask that person, somebody you trust, you know? Yeah. Um, and then maybe, like, when other people say things, I know that this is 
easier said than done. But like Keith George likes to do this thing. Like if he knows I came down from a jump and I didn't do as well as I was hoping I would, he would be like, just smile, Sam. And I always refer, I always like throw back, like, you're not my dad. Like, stop, <laughs> you know? Uh, <laughs> and then we have a good laugh about it. And it snaps me out of like that little like internal struggle I've got going. And I, you know, I don't know if he knows that this is what it does for me, but that's, that's what it does for me is he says that stuff and then I fire back at him and then it's over. We're all good. Um, but yeah, like whatever you got to do to snap yourself out of that and get back into that, that headspace you want to be in for progression, you know? Yeah, it's, it's tough. It's a tough thing. The one thing that I actually, I guess, struggle with still is that if I come down from a jump, this is one that I am still like trying to figure out what, what, what how do I handle this? If you come from down from a jump and something actively unsafe happens and you're just so rattled and you're, that's one thing I haven't yeah. figured out is how do you deal with the, like all the, like mostly scare, but also frustration and stress emotions when you, when you have an unsafe thing. Yeah. I think it depends on the situation. Like I, th- I think it depends on what side of the situation you're on. If you were the person that scared everyone or if you were the one that got scared, if that makes sense. Right. I think it depends. Like, how you handle that situation is so is so like you got to be really delicate with it like when I was a young skydiver and I was a young instructor I would just like go fucking ball swinging like just pissed off and angry about things and like totally handled it the wrong way right and as I got a little bit older and a little bit more seasoned and started learning from other coaches that were also super seasoned um and very experienced with teaching people like I personally speaking like I think taking some time after whatever incident that is to like really decompress you know whether it's like 20 minutes 30 minutes whatever it is you need like just take some time and like breathe collect your thoughts and figure out what it is you want to say to that person and then go and talk to them and like I think they I think the other person's reaction sometimes too has a has a tendency to be the thing that guides the direction of the the conversation um I usually ask a lot of questions in those situations too as well like I ask the other person like hey like how do you feel about this why did you do what you did like what was the reasoning behind it like get some information from them before I say anything further you know I try to anyway I don't know if I'm necessarily killing it in that in that department anymore but that's my intention is to is to figure out how that person feels about the situation. If they already know they fucked up, you know, and they already know they messed up, like then it can be a very like, you know, a very good conversation where everyone learns something. Um, but if their reaction is like, I didn't, I didn't see you or I didn't do, I didn't even was aware that this was happening. Like then it's like, okay, now we have to have a different co- type of conversation. Or if they are, I didn't do anything wrong, fuck off. That it's like, okay, now we're going to have a very, very different conversation. I, well, I was going to say, I love that. I love that you brought that up. That is in any safety situation where I, want to talk to somebody and have and a no fault one it's hard to you know kind of like wow we should all learn but it's kind of you don't want to point fingers and whatever but in a safety situation where there's definitely someone who has made a goof made an error I love the let's ask questions approach that is Mm -hmm. I mean you never know what's going through someone's head right and you never know what they're experiencing so Maybe they did the very best with the experience and the knowledge they had at the time. Or maybe yeah. they made an egregious error with the knowledge and experience they had at the time. But you want to talk to them and not just point fingers before you start yeah. trying to coach them. And I think that's great. I'm glad yeah. you do that. And I, not to be sexist against men, but I believe that women are much better at doing that. They just tend to be like, hey, where are you at? 
Where are you coming from? To be fair, when I when I was a young instructor, I just mimicked everybody else I was around. Like, this is how people handled the situation, so this is how I'm going to handle the situation, right? Um, but when I started learning from other people and learning from, like, people who were much better at teaching just overall and, like, communicating with people overall, like, the, the way I would handle those conflicts, you know, changed a lot. Like, I, you catch more flies with honey than you do with vinegar, you know, Um so you have a have a better chance of like teaching someone something um, or having them learn from that mistake with, you know, understanding and empathy and like, you know, a softer approach. I'm not saying that that's the thing that you have to do with every single person because I've met my fair share of people who I'm like, I just need to like beat your head against a rock <laughs> like because you're not getting it. You are not understanding how scary that situation was. Um, so like there's you know, it just, it depends on the situation and what it, what it calls for. Like the questions help you figure out what situation it is you're dealing with so that you can respond appropriately instead of just like yelling at someone in the landing area and being like, what the fuck was that? You know? So it's, it helps you, it helps you get from point A to point B a lot faster in my opinion. But- I absolutely agree. That is another really good reason to travel. Going to different drop zones, watching different instructors, getting different coaching, getting different Mm -hmm. mentors, and seeing how other people who are successful in the sport at different places handle conflict at the drop zone is really important. Because like you said, when you just mimicked what you saw at your local place, Mm -hmm. it's really easy to do that. But if the people at your local place are really aggressive, then you'll do the same thing. But if you go somewhere else and say, oh, well, there's other options, then maybe you'll Mm -hmm. try those. So like, like you said several different kinds of people management skills that you need to employ and you have to figure out what tools you need in your tool tool belt. Yeah. It's always wild seeing other like people that I've never met before, like other instructors and coaches and like leaders, like react the same way I used to where I'm like, Oh, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> like it's just, it's a, like, it's, it's very interesting seeing it. Cause I'm like, was I like that? I know I was like that at some point, like, oh man, like there's a better way to do this, man. There's a better way to get this information across. Like, oh no. So it, there's, you know, do what works for you, but also keep in mind, like you can always, you can always solve these kinds of situations a lot faster if you're just a little bit more thoughtful about how it is you're approaching it, you know, easier said than done. Cause everyone's knee jerk reaction is just a oh. fire off or retreat like automatically, you know, so just try and breathe, I guess is like the big, <laughs> the biggest piece of advice there. Like give yourself some time to breathe before you approach that person. You know? That's the biggest thing it's got to be. Breathe. Breathe before you exit. <laughs> breathe before you touch the formation. Breathe before you approach the asshole who cut you off on land. You know, breathe. <laughs> Just breathe. What would you consider to be your very first big way event ever? Do you remember? <gasps> oh, I'm so excited. Yes, of course I remember. This is very exciting. I did a <laughs> 60, I think it was 60-ish ways was the end of the event and they were on my belly and I had like 250 skydives. I went to a P3 event and I think in the lead up, I maybe did a 20 way event at Paris, which was, I I wouldn't really call that my first big way event because it was, I don't know why, but I tend to think of big ways in free fly as much smaller, like a 10 way, a 10 way head down jump feels like a big way compared to like a 10 way belly jump doesn't feel like a big way. Don't know why I classify it that way, but at about 250 jumps, I went to P3 and I did a 64 way and I was endlessly proud of myself. Oh boy. I was so (laughs) stoked. It was really cool. I loved it. I learned 
a lot about big ways on my belly before I even got into big ways vertically. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Uh, what year was that? Do you remember? Uh, had to be 2016. Okay. Yeah. So a few years ago. Yeah, a few Since years ago. Since then, if you, if you had to guess, how many different big way events have you been a part of? Oh, boy. Okay, let's see. Um, so I did that, and then I didn't really continue with belly big ways because they were expensive to me. Mm-hmm. This is when I was really more balling on a budget, and I was putting more money into teams. And then – then I think I did in 2017, there was an attempt at a Colorado record women belly 27 way. We tried that. We didn't get it. Then I took a break from big ways up until the P19 kind of lead up the second time. I was not skilled enough to do the first kind of initial push for P19. But then after COVID, I was able to do some things. I moved down to Southern California with the intention to be chasing the big ways. Like I was on my head and I was like, you know where the action is? Southern California. They have lots of big drop zones. They have lots of big planes. I will go there. Things will be there. And then I kind of proceeded into the whole BWR scene. So let's see, like throughout the year for, I'd say I've probably done on the high side, 20 big way events total in my life, which feels like a lot, but there was like, well, Amber- since 2016, that's seven years. Yeah. There's like Amberly's yeah. event. And then a lot of those were in the last year. Amberly, Polaris, maybe another Polaris. Um, and then like when, so the vertical world record happened, attempt, no record, mm-hmm. happened last year. And I didn't intend to be on that record, but I had trained with a VFS team kind of the year before in 2021 and ran a J Russ at nationals when we were competing. And he's like, well, if you can fly VFS, you can do big ways. And I'm like, well, maybe I should try for the 200 way. Why not? So with that kind of in mind, I did Sebastian, uh, the Arizona camp, the Sebastian camp. I got my invite at the Sebastian camp, but I was dedicated to continue going to all the tryouts because I was like, I am not qualified for this. I need to keep practicing. (laughs) So then I went to the other Arizona camp, a Houston camp, the Arizona 100 Ways. Chris Dare and Skip Kingery were Team Fulcrum for a while down in Elsinore, and they did some events, which were kind of fun. And I did a couple of those. So let's just throw two more on there. And then I did, and then, so that's like 10 events lead up to the vertical world record. Vertical world record, which is a lot of experience in itself. Project 19, Women's California, Big Way head down event and we set some records in 2022 and then this one this head up record so I'm like Mm -hmm. maybe at like 15 to 20 big way events total that's like two plane shot kind of thing yeah and that's within the last few years like most of those happen within the last like three or four years yeah yeah would you say okay wow that's a lot I could have probably raised a child on that money that was a stupid (laughs) idea but here we go that's fine don't have kids because I got to pay for this guy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I uh, I was going to make a funny quip. That's not so funny about how, which one, which one would bring you more satisfaction. But well, I'm big ways, say that cause... big ways make you cry. And I think children also probably make you cry. So it's probably pretty similar. Yeah. I wonder what the, like what you get out of it different i mean like i feel like the the build up to having a kid is like 18 years in the making like once you know that they're like a like a functioning human being you know yeah uh, you know, funny thing it's is a lot longer 
I know. Yeah, it's a, it's a long time build up. But also, like, you know, there's a, a real adult human that can live on and talk about your legacy. I swear, in 10, <laughs> me, 10 years, no one's going to remember who I am or care about what I did. And so I yeah. just have to be here to be happy about it. That's, yep. I don't know. I feel like a lot of scout ever just chasing their legacy. I'm like, dude, there's no legacy here. People don't even know about See, us now. I can walk up to a. I am not ultra famous in scouting, but I am accomplished, <laughs> I would say. I could walk yes. into most any drop zone in the U.S. And I could guarantee at least three quarters of the drop zone would have no idea who I was. Any drops yeah. in the U.S. With the exception of Paris, who knows me for like belly. And those are like my friends. I just know a lot of people. But people don't know you. They don't know that you are on the vertical world record attempts. They don't know that you have state records. They don't care that you won yeah. medals in competition. They're just like, who are you? You want to go by skydive? You're like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Okay. Really is humbling. Yeah. Um, so why do you enjoy these types of events, these big wave events? Oh, man. Well, currently, the reason I enjoy them is because over the last year, I made a lot of friends at the Vertical World rep- Record attempts and mm-hmm. all the P19 tryouts. And I got a really broad group of friends that live in the Northeast and the Southeast and Texas and Chicago and all over. And so these are a great reason to see all my friends. I go to a drop zone. I know all my friends will be there the whole weekend. We got to hang out the whole time. And I'm really bad about taking vacations to just go see people. So these are great reasons to see the people I know and I miss from other parts of the country. Um, that's one of the large reasons I do stuff now. Honestly, with the head up record that just happened, I did not expect to be on the record. I expected to do a couple of jumps and then they would politely say, we are so glad you're here. We would like for you to warm the bench for a few jumps and then we'll bring you on later. And that was totally fine with me. I was totally ready for that. And just happy to, I only showed up because I wanted to hang out with my friends that were coming from Florida, honestly. So I was pleased to be there and that's why I'm doing it. But why else? I mean, I do like to just keep working on my skills. It's fun to Uh push myself to do something uncomfortable. That's fair. It's very uncomfortable. Oh yeah. Like it's probably the worst. So hard. The only thing worse is backflying. That's the only other thing that's worse. (laughs) And no one's going to do a backfly record. Why do you say that? Oh, my God. Oh, okay. I have a – so you just talked to Richo. Did he get on the backfly tear? No, he didn't. Oh, my God. Okay. Well, I get to do it. I'm so excited for this. So (laughs) Okay. So backflying is hard. Have you done much MFS? Yeah. Uh, I mean, like a fair – like a little bit. Not – not like as much as I wish I would have, but yes, yes, like if, a fair amount, yeah. If you've done even a couple rounds where you're doing belly back rounds, every time you're on your back, you're like, I feel like a stuck turtle, you know, like it is a <laughs> disheartening feeling. It is hard to do. And like, as you learn more about MFS, you know, you learn that you're basically trying to engineer it so that you're on your back as little as po- as little time as possible. And then you, you get back into either a sit or, you know, belly. And so... Man, backflying is humiliating and hard and difficult. And recently, <laughs> the thing that's been happening at, at our local drop zone at Skydive California is a lot of very eager skydivers, which I do not fault at all, come to the drop zone and they're like, well, I'm trying to learn free flying. I'm like, great, love it. So excited for you. And they're like, well, I've been learning backfly in the tunnel. So I would like to be a solo backfly, please. And we're like, really? Do you want to be a solo backfly? We would all prefer you don't. And they will, you know, but instead of, you know, saying no, we're like, okay, well, tell me what you're going to do. I'm going to get on my belly and then I'm going to rotate to my back for a few seconds and rotate it to my belly. And so they tell you their whole plan. And you're like, that does 
seem probably safe. However, maybe it'd be nice to make a friend to keep you in one place or to give you some reference point. You know, it's very hard to have this conversation with people who are super eager to be improving. And that is a very accessible free flight skill when you're learning. But oh Mm -hmm. boy, solo back flyers scare the crap out of me. I'm like, oh, you are going to (laughs) be under me or over me. You're going to be in my airspace. Are you sure you don't want to leave as a tracking group at the front? Because we know you're going to track, but who knows what direction. So (laughs) I'm actually going to write a blog about this sometime soon about Hello, friends. I know you would like to backfly in the sky. Please don't. Please wait for a while. <laughs> no, that's that's uh, that's yeah. I can I can understand why backflying in the sky would be scary as fuck. Oh yeah. Um, you don't know if that person's tracking up or down jump run. You don't know where the hell they're going. Like they don't they don't have any reference. It's not like in the tunnel where you can instantly tell if you're moving. Like it's way different, especially if you have nobody there uh, as a reference, you know, to help you out. Um. I get that for sure. I mean, in terms of like it sucking though, like I, I can't relate to that at all. I spent so much time on my back teaching people in the tunnel. Like I could, I could sleep on my back in the tunnel and be fine, like, and be totally comfortable with it. I am, uh, back flying is like my go-to when I'm fucking tired too. Like after like being on my belly and my shoulders hurt or being in a sit and my shoulders hurt, my, my arms are fucking killing me. I'll just be like, all right. We're going to go sit to our back. We're going to go to our back and hang out in this high speed. Sweet. All right. Now let's pop ourselves back up. You know, so like back. Do you want to be be on an MFS team where you're my uh, backfly person? Because, oh, my God, everyone else sucks at it. (laughs) Fuck yeah. Count me in. I love it. Uh, Yeah. Backflying, backflying and sit flying, I think, are are my best, my best disciplines, to be honest. But it's because we. I've spent so much time doing that in the tunnel. And prior to that, those were the ones I was the most proficient at before the tunnel too. Like I'm proficient at all of the things. I can do all the skills. But in terms of like what I'm the best at or what my go-tos are, like those are definitely the two that I'm like aces. Um, When you're ready, give me a call. (laughs) Yeah. See, you're the odd case because usually the people who are like, I'm doing a backflow, they're like, I have done... 30 minutes of backfly, I am proficient. Yeah. You're like, salutes to you. Please be safe. <laughs> and so you are the exception case yeah. because everyone else who wants to do backflying is pretty yeah. inexperienced. However, for, mean, the, for the backflyers out there, keep progressing, keep working at it. Just realize that it's not really a skill that translates to the sky very well. Yeah. Come talk to me. Yeah. Go talk to somebody in, about That's MFS fair. and they'll teach you. they'll teach you some stuff. And then you can incorporate it into belly back. Totally legit. Totally legit. Yep. Go just, you know what? If you want to be really good at this, just go do it all in the tunnel and get really, really good in the tunnel at doing it. And then occasionally when you use it in the sky, you'll be, you'll be great. You know, main goal of big way events. Like what, in your opinion, what's the main goal of these types of events? Like how do they further our sport? It's a really good, how do they further the sport? Yeah, I've, I've, I mean, you could ask this of something, somebody who organizes them, but I think it's, I think it's also yeah. interesting to hear about it from people who are, who are just participating, like, are just participating in these, like, like, how does this further our sport in your opinion? Like, where do we, why do we do these things? Like, why do we host these events? Because on like a, a global scale, skydiving is like that big <laughs> in comparison to, to other entertaining activities and sports that like are performed or like engaged in globally, right? Or nationwide. Um, So it's like, how does this change our sport? Like, 
How does it further us as a group of people, in your opinion? Yeah, that's a great question. As a sport, it furthers us because as people get interested in big way, they start pursuing it and big way demands discipline. And I think our sport, our sport benefits from disciplined flyers, people who really strive to be more. Okay. So this is, sorry, side note. You just talked to Richo. We make a joke a lot that he is all power, no finesse. That is his, <laughs> okay. we were an MFS team one year and it was all power, no finesse. And oh my gosh. And that's the opposite of me. I'm all finesse, no power. I come from <laughs> the belly line of like, don't bring extra energy into the formation because it creates waves and it makes it harder to go to the next point. And like, I am all, all finesse, no power. In big way skydiving, it demands discipline. And I think that's really good. I think that it is really a decent thing to demand of yourself and your friends to be like, let's just make ourselves fly the absolute best and cleanest we possibly can. I think it's a fun challenge. Yeah. I also think that uh, big ways, I do think that they're kind of cool. You start looking and seeing, well, okay, well, what have they already done? And what can I be a part of? I want to get into that. Like I wasn't part. So I, fun fact, I was not interested in big ways for quite a long time in my belly. And one reason I didn't pursue it with P3, because Mm -hmm. I knew I would never set a world record. Because the big way belly world record is so large that it would be probably almost financially, at this point, it's close to financially infeasible to set another one, uh, unless we have some prince who's super excited about it again. Um, (laughs) so I was like, well, I'm going to write off belly big ways because I'm, I'm not going to do that. However, I do think that it's really interesting to challenge people to think of different ways to push the sport. Like how big can we build a head down big way? Well, we're realizing that the current, the the current like formation style we're using isn't really maybe working. We've tried two, 200 ways. They're not going great. So now we're starting to look at like, what are some other ways we can build it? How else do we? advance the sport and make different formations that build better to the size of 200 and mm-hmm. things like looking into different types of skydives. Like, I don't know if you've been um, apprised of the, like, or keeping up with the uh, echelon events, but they've started yeah. to do 3d jumps and like, that's yeah. a whole new thing. And it's actually cool. So they inspired the belly. I was literally belly- just going to say that. <laughs> Sorry, and they ins- go ahead. No, it's great. And they inspired the belly jumpers to now start doing more 3D belly jumps. And I'm like, it's really cool to just push people to be creative. But like, we are in free fall. This is not, should not be possible. What are some other weird things we can do with this? Like, I remember, yeah. I remember talking to some old, old guys. My uncle used to skydive and he was really, you know, couch freak kind of guy. He was in the couch freaks. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about how like, it was mind blowing when people were passing batons and you're like, Oh boy, (laughs) that is literally like a requirement to like get your a license these days. So like, it's just cool to see like, how do we push our creativity in a sport that is just so absurd? Like let's try new stuff. So I think big ways are a way to inspire people to get better and to think about how else could we do this? What else do we want to do? Like how else could we make this outrageous sport even more outrageous? I like that. Uh, That's a, that's a great, a great way to to kind of 
pose that question of why should I why should I pursue these things? Like first off, it creates really good discipline. It allows you to think outside the box of what you're always you're you're used to, right? Like how far can we take this? How far can I take my own personal skills? How does this change what we're going to do in the future? Like it gets you in front of all these different people, right? Like I really like that explanation. Um, to build off the echelon event, so Josh Evans of Denver you used to uh, be my coach. Denver, yeah, yeah. Uh, Josh Evans. He was the one actually, I quit on. He was the one who he kept trying <laughs> to teach me how to do transitions, and I kept screwing it up. And finally, it's nothing on him. It was purely me being a, a obstinate person. But uh, yeah, he was the one I finally was like, "Sorry, Josh, it's not you. It's me. I'm breaking up with you. I have to quit free flying." <laughs> I'm sure Josh will listen to this too and be like, he'll probably laugh at some point like during this episode. So uh, you know the whole frustration conversation we had. He yeah. he was first seat, his front row seats to me being frustrated all the time. So I feel I do feel <laughs> bad he had to coach me. He probably got the worst of me being an attitude and a little asshole. Well, Josh, you'll have to weigh in and let us know. Like once you listen to this, um, he actually also has his other his own podcast too as well. It's called the Content Clearinghouse. Shout out for them. Um, him and Brett, uh, Chis Chisholm, Chisholm, um, they run uh the Content Clearinghouse, and they were they actually took a break for a little while, and then I had Josh on this podcast like really really early on, um, and we did a two part two part episode introducing him to this this whole thing, um, and then they started picking back up after that. It kind of like got them in into gear like re re-recording episodes for a little while. That was pretty it's pretty cool. Um but he also recently just came on after he went to the most recent Echelon event. Um he was like, I have to tell you about this. Let's do a podcast episode. I'm like, absolutely let's do it. And he explained to me like what those events are like and what the intention is behind them, you know, how long they've been around for, all of those all those things. And he he just could not stop gushing over how amazing that event was and how it was the coolest thing he's ever done in his skydiving career. Um Shortly after that, Andy ended up listening to that episode and was like, I'd love to come on your show. And we talked even more about like 3D skydives. But um, have you seen, have you, when's the last time you were at the school in Skydive Paris? Like in, in that building, in that main building. In their school? Yeah. I don't. In the school building? I don't know. It's been a long time. I don't, since I didn't so, do much with the school, I barely saw anything there. I was mostly in the LO room. Yeah, okay. So they had a photo right in the main lobby of the school. Um, so I worked there in 2016. I was there that winter, 2016 to 2017. And the photo they had up there was of a big round ball formation. Um, and they, I remember being mind blown at the time, like how the hell did they do that? And then you really look at the photo and what it is is they've got, um, they've got like bands around their knees and around their elbows right? I think it's around their elbows. Or maybe it's around their wrists. I can't remember. But basically everyone took like the claw grip inside like the band so that they could hold at the knees instead of at the legs or at the elbows instead of the, instead of the wrists. Oh. And, uh, and it was a 3d formation. Um, there's a, there's a parachute cover, parachutist cover of that skydive. But then there's also one way back in the seventies, um, of an illustration done by a, uh, illustrator and I'm going to butcher his name it's John John Bono John something I can't remember I can't remember the illustrator's name off the top of my head um but in both those echelon events like or the episodes the echelon episode and the Andy episode that has not come out yet uh those episodes we talked about that formation um and how mind-blowing that that 
pitcher was and they they held that formation it was like a it was a it was a ball essentially it was a 3d it was a 3d skydive like there was nobody in the center everyone think um think like the the motorcycle thing at the circus or at the car uh, yeah. talking about like the like think that shape of that dome that's essentially what it was it's I'm like thinking- they, they were in the sh- yeah. I feel like I'm thinking about, you know, those playground equipments that children, yes. play, that children yes. climb on the like dome like that. That's exactly like, two sides. That's crazy. Yeah. And so I, did not, that, I never saw that. That's amazing. I'll, I'll send you the picture. Yeah, later. send me the picture. Um, it's it's mind blowing. Uh, but when people would tell me 3D dives, that's imme- immediately what I, I used to think about was that that skydive. And then like I've I've since then seen more like 3D dives that are like more in like multiple disciplines drop skydives mm-hmm. if, if for lack yeah, of a yeah. word where they do a, where they do a little bit of everything what is that is and it then, is it called the crab have you seen the one where they like they've got a couple people head down a couple people head up some people in their belly that yeah kind of, so, yeah yeah hybrids right yeah. like see see different things like that um but then andy's idea took it even a, a little step further where it's like let's let's do full formations but then change the levels <laughs> you know like let's hit an entire full formation and then key it so everything shifts and it and it forms like a pitcher or a formation and I'm like that is it's just it's super cool thinking about how innovative that crew of people are you know like how do we change what it is we've always been doing like where do we take it further what else can we try and do and somewhat be somewhat successful at like those are those are the the types of skydives that are very very interesting to me like I I think there's something to be said about big ways there's something to be taken away from those those types of events like discipline excitement you know like goal setting chat being challenged like all of those things but I think the ones that really, really get me going and really, really get me excited are the ones that are just out of left field where you're like, how the hell did they pull that off? That's amazing. Like, that is so fucking cool. Um, just those innovative, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm interested and excited to see how, how that idea pairs up with big ways moving forward, you know? Yeah, I do. And I, I think you have yeah. to have the kind of big way skills to be able to pull those off. Like, those mm-hmm. people who are doing that are, they have done so many more big way events than I have. So when you think about it, like when someone's like, why do you do big ways? It's like, so you can practice being very still on a skydive with yeah. 20 other people and do something weird and not just do something like regular, like the flower yeah. shape, but do something different. So like, that's mm-hmm. why you should do big ways. So like it, it hones your discipline. Yeah, that's that's a, a very good a very good remark. Um, I I person me I hope that skydiving is moving in the creative innovative direction. I think that I I hope that we're seeing we see more of that in the future. Um, but there's only one way to get there, and you have to like be able to do all of these other things first. Yeah. So just another good reason to go. But the other the the other reason to do big ways. And I think is because you meet a lot of really fun and interesting people oh, yeah. while you're doing it. I can say that Project 19 was exceptional for helping me meet women across the country. Like some really good friends of mine now live on the East Coast and on the West Coast and everywhere. And it's really fun to know that like I have these women friends across the country in the sport that I can go mm-hmm. skydiving with. So I think if you want to get into big ways, pursue it. Absolutely do yeah. it. It is 
rewarding and it's challenging and it's fun, but that's what makes it rewarding. Like it is good. Let's talk about Project 19 since you just brought it up. Sure. How was that experience? Like the actual event, the actual record? How was that? Oh my gosh. So I can, I look at it because naturally I compare it to the other biggest big way thing I've done, which is the vertical road, world record, the 200 way. So 200 people co-ed in Chicago versus in the summer versus, you know, 100 120 women were there, but 100 women on the skydives for the most part in Arizona in November. I mean, Project 19 was magical. I don't want to just sound ridiculous, but it was it was a magic event. It was really wonderful. And it was the jumps themselves were controlled. They were disciplined, not to just harp on that word, but controlled. They were disciplined. They were calm. They were just really well-executed skydives. Everyone there that was flying was doing a good job, and they were doing a good job at being disciplined. And... The, so the skydives themselves went well. Like we, we, you know, we didn't get the hundred way we wanted, which is a shame. And we got really close with like a 97 way when we were going for like a 98 way. Oh boy. That was so close. That was literally, we had two 97 ways. We had a 97 way where one person was on. And then we had a 97 way where that person was off, but a different person was on. And it was just the fraction of a second where those two people were not on at the same time. It was, it was so close. Oh my God. We came down and everyone else who was so i don't know for the folks who haven't flown in a big way there is a moment of time on this skydive where you've touched it you're you're panicked i mean maybe not panicked but a lot of times i'm panicking you're out there and you're panicked and you're like <laughs> oh my god there's so many people and what are we doing what's happening i gotta just gotta touch it i gotta touch it i gotta present I gotta present I gotta be quiet I gotta, like all your mind is so full of all these things you do this and then your person touches you and then you can almost feel the person touch them and you can kind of feel the people behind you and as that happens you actually get calmer and you feel this like sense of calm and stability happen as the formation like when we got the record this weekend on the head up thing like it was we had some attempts that were wavy and they were messy and they were just not they were chaos but when you have a record you a lot of times you feel it calming down and just settling out and like that 97 way, we were flying it and it was like, I think we got it. I thought we had the thing. We came down and we were celebrating because we were sure we had a 98 way. We were, it felt like we had a 98 way because everybody was just flying it. But anyway, so it was an amazing experience because the flying was good. The organization was exceptional. Um, I thought something that was fascinating and interesting about it was that we had the world's probably the world's longest briefing Sunday night, Sunday night before we started like a several hour briefing talking about safety protocol and what's on level and what's expected. And how do we, how do we load planes? We just covered every aspect of the skydive head to toe. And I, some people actually, I don't think I heard anybody express it. I think everybody was like, we see the value in this. It was a long time, kind of sucked. However, it was so valuable to really get everyone on the exact same page because we had people coming from different countries. We had a lot of people who spoke different languages. We had a lot of people who trained differently. So having that like 
several hour briefing of a basis of like, how is this event going to go? was so helpful. And then as we went through and did the jumps, I thought that the camaraderie and the support and the lack of ego across like everybody I worked with was amazing. We would come down from jumps and women would be like, Hey, how was the exit? Did I screw you up? Were you feeling okay? Did you have enough room? I can do this. Do you need this? Or they'd come down, you hear them talking. How was my presentation? Do you want more room? Should I, should I give you space? Did I get there before you? Like there was so much collaboration. It was a really cool thing to see people getting together and collaborating. Whereas I think the 200 way, the VWR attempts really felt competitive and aggressive and like, you wanted to be the one on it. You wanted to be the one who was going to be on whatever record happened. Maybe at the expense of the people next to you, maybe at the expense of whatever. So it was less, I don't know. People seem to have less incentive to just work together. And the P19 record, everybody was so invested in working together to try to make this thing happen. And plus we'd spent, you know, years becoming friends. You met all these ladies from across the world in different places. And you're like, I want my friends to be on the skydive with me. I know all these women, like they are awesome. And this is so cool. So it was a truly amazing experience. I don't think I will probably have anything else quite as awesome in skydiving as that, which is pretty bold to say that. It's, yeah, it's interesting. It's an interesting observation between the two different types of records, like how one is so competitive and cutthroat and like, you, you, you know what I mean? Like every man's there for themselves, you know, instead of such a group community, you know, mind like like esque esque environment. Um, when I think of skydiving, I think of community. You know, I think of people like my tribe. I think of connection. I think of, you know, uh, how I flourished as an adult, you know, like that's, that's what I think of when I think of skydiving. So it's interesting. It's an interesting observation. I think I don't really know that I have anything else to say about that, like in terms of like an opinion, but it's just an instant, it's an interesting observation that there's such a major difference between the two different types of groups, you know, getting together and skydiving. Yeah. Um, it's not to say it's men versus women because that's not the situ- that's not what I'm trying to get at. It's just like the two different vibes. Me it, personally, like I hope it ends up being more teamwork and connection and like community, like based based events happen. I think that I I hope that 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 if has an effect on events moving forward, but yeah, I don't I don't know, I don't know that it's, you know, the women's record versus the co-ed, I think there's a lot of things to do with the, I mean, the funding was a big thing. Like it was mm-hmm. having the funding to do P19 made a huge difference, way less financial stress on everybody. Also just, it was the whole way the events were structured was really like get to know each other. We, it was community from the beginning. Whereas like the, the VWR was a lot more of like sectors, bring your sector. And so like, it was possible that you'd show up at the VWR and, I've never met people who were, you know, just one pod over, you know? So I think that there's like a lot of different reasons it could have happened. Uh, but I was so pleased with Project 19. I, it was awesome. It was truly amazing. I am so happy to have ever been a part of it. And it was really cool. And even the women that didn't end up on the record that I did meet through it, I, they're my friends. And I'm so happy to have had the whole experience. It was awesome. Very cool. Very cool. Um, I talked to Jen Halverson too. 
mm-hmm. really early, really early on in this this podcast, I had her on um, to talk about that because it was like just after she like I think I did a two part actually like before she went to that record and then after she went to the record. So like everything that she was worried about and anxious about and like what she had trained for and then after the event, like she said a lot of the same things that you just did about how awesome that group of people was and how life changing that event was, you know, and how much impact it had on her. And now. I just found out, well, okay, so what I should say is like how impactful that event was for future female-led events, you know, and what the intention was like across across the country, you know, across the world of like, we want to have more leader, leadership, uh, female leadership in, in the sport. We want to have people organizing their own events. We want to have people that were on this record or part of this journey be, uh, organizing their own things at different drop zones and like how do you bring other women in the sport that know less than you up like how do we elevate those people and like figuring out you know how to phase new leadership in and like now she is um she's organizing her own head up skills camp in cross I saw that that's awesome this summer I was like fuck yeah she's doing the thing like that's great it's so cool I'm so I saw that too and I was like is it it's a long flight from California and I was debating. Yeah. <laughs> I have another friend who's a, a cross keys person and I was like, I could go visit her. I could vi- go to the event. It's like, is it yeah. worth it? It's a long flight though. So I'm not sure I'm going to make it out, but I was like, yeah, go to Jen. Uh, yeah. Cause yeah. Jen is one of the people that I met through, through the P19. And it's, I, I would like to start doing events too. I think that there's a really challenging hurdle from like, okay, I've been in events. Now I want to do an event and like how to make that jump. Things like how do I coordinate with the DZ and how do I put out the invites and how do I make sure to have a successful event and how do I how do I convince people that they want to go to my event? How do I convince people that it's worth paying to come to an event that I'm organizing? Like, yeah, you know, there's, there's so many things. I uh, I'd really like to start organizing events, but I also am really unsure about how to go about it. So we'll see. Maybe maybe okay. eventually. I think what what she's doing in this I I don't. I don't know for sure, so don't quote me exactly on this, but I think what she's doing is she's she is helping to organize this event with another more established coach or leader, like leader in the in this community. Um, it's another woman. I can't remember what her name is off the top of my head, but um, I think that's the goal is that she's kind of the junior organizer in this in this situation but she's taking the lead on a lot of stuff with advice in the background on how to keep navigating and like you know I think it's awesome I think that I think it's great she just took the initiative and just fucking did it like I'm like hell yeah go you girl um I'm excited to see how that event that project 19 event changes the or shapes you know events moving forward especially when they are female-led like I'm pretty stoked to see see the landscape change a little bit you know made, in terms of what's offered yeah and it just made a big difference in the sheer amount of women who have those kind of skills because yeah. the what was it i forget what the numbers there was maybe i want to say there's maybe like 15 or 18 women who were involved with the like 200 way attempts a couple of years ago in 2016 2018 mm-hmm. whatever that was uh, 2018, I think. And then this year it almost doubled with the women that had showed up for the, both the attempts and the bench. And it's just like, it shows how many more women just got the skill set and got the itch to go yeah. do it. 
also, I think it's just having that network of women to reach out to and be like, hey, are you going to this head up event? I'm going to be there. You want to meet, fly in at the same time, get a car, get a hotel together. Like having those people to talk to and being able to go share the cost when you go to those events is huge. Yeah. That's huge. So having the network of women who are just interested in doing that is great. Okay. So then that prompts my very last question for you. Okay. In addition to all the things we've already talked about, you know, um, all the little pieces of advice and all the, all the ideations that we've been pushing back and forth. What other kind of advice do you have for other women who are maybe just starting skydiving or maybe are at a standstill in their skill set um who are maybe uh looking to push for that next goal like what kind of advice do you have for those women who are interested in pursuing bigger and better goals for themselves as skydivers that's a good question i think maybe like the tangible advice i would do the one that you can like take action on and go do I would say push yourself to go somewhere else to do something, whether that is go to a boogie where one of the organizers that you've heard of is going to be. And like that, you know, for if you're very new and you've got, you know, 50 to 200 skydives and you're like, I don't know what to do. Go to somewhere where there's a boogie that you're like, that skydiver is well known and I want to go do some jumps with them and they're load organizing. So I went to I went to a boogie at Skydance when I maybe had 50 jumps and Melissa Nelson was there and I was pretty unaware of what was going on in skydiving but I was like oh this woman is a good free flyer I she seems very important and then she we had a weather hole and she did a whole talk and it was really cool to just go s- somewhere with someone interesting so I would say if you're new and you you don't know what to do try to just go to even local boogies to just meet some new people or have some new role models and ask them questions. If you're getting more experienced and you want to try a different discipline, I would say do a camp somewhere. Try and keep your eye out on camps. Um, find somebody that you think might be a good mentor and maybe just message them. And be like, hey, I'd love to chat with you. I'm interested in doing events or tell them your goals. What I have found almost exclusively or not exclusively, I've found almost entirely across the board in skydiving, the vast majority of women who have accomplished things in the sport are not just willing, but enthusiastically excited about giving their time and energy to other people, especially women in the sport. Mm -hmm. I have had so many legends sit down with me and spend time to talk to me over a cup of coffee because I had some questions. So I think my advice would be if you want to get into something or you feel like you're at a plateau or you're not sure what to do, just get a little out of your comfort zone, whether that's, a boogie, a camp, a skills camp, a tunnel camp, just try something different and go somewhere different and meet some new faces and you'll get some inspiration. Yeah. Yeah. That's great advice. Like those are, those are all really good things to keep in mind as, as other, some of you other listeners, some of you male or female, I guess, you know, um, are rising through the ranks and getting more experience under your belt. Like those are all really, really good things to keep in the back of your mind. Um, I, I mean, you covered it really well. I, I don't have anything to add to that. That's great. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, with that, though, Tam, uh, thank you so much for spending a couple hours of your life with me today. I really appreciate it. It's been a fucking treat. This is so much fun. <laughs> I had so much fun chatting. I'm so flattered to be here. I've never been asked to be on a podcast before. I'm like, oh, oh my God, am I important? Who am I? I mean, 
take that with a grain of salt because look at who is hosting it. I mean, so like, I, uh, yeah, like I am, I'm really interested in just talking to people that are interesting to me. You know, um, me personally, I feel a, a lack of connection across skydiving as a whole in, in these last couple of years. Um, and whether it's because I'm not traveling or I'm not progressing or whatever, like I just, I'm, I'm feel like I'm losing connection. And I think this is a way for me at least to, to form better and closer connections with people I've never met before. Or I'm, I'm only having like one or two interactions with, you know, occasionally. So, um, I, I hope that people get something similar out of it, but I also hope that people are inspired uh, by this and they're they're interested in like taking some of the things that get said on here and like applying it to their own their own skill set or their own journey like um, I'm really interested in talking about a lot of other things too as well outs like outside of the norm for skydiving like historical stuff and like you know mental uh, concepts that like don't pop up all the time like Dunning-Kruger effect and oh my gosh. imposter syndrome stuff Dude. like that like I didn't even get into my whole, I have so many thoughts on visualization and how that's helped me. And I, I could do in a whole conversation about visualization, visualization, if you ever want to. But I also okay. have some friends who I'm like, these are some interesting people that are like carving to mind that I'm like, you should talk to these people. So if you want some suggestions, I have some. Yeah, absolutely. If you think somebody would be a, a good fit for something like this, like send me, send me their name. Uh, I will just reach out and say, hey, this person said this about you. Like, what do you think? You want to come on and chat with a complete stranger about skydiving for a couple hours? Like, sounds great to me. So, yeah, any and anybody listening, if you think of anybody that you think might be a really good addition to something like this, like, feel free to reach out. Let me know. Like, I'm always interested in talking to new people, figuring out, you know, what makes people tick. So thanks for doing this. I think it's really awesome to have more resources that just explore skydiving and all the uh, the facets of it, you know. Yeah. I think the other thing too is like most skydiving content is super dry. Like it's dry as fuck and it's boring in my opinion. And I think it's just cool listening to people talk about what, what drives them, what's exciting to them, like why they do certain things, you know, stuff they've learned um, instead of talking about the most recent BSR <laughs> or, you know, the most recent, you know, fatality or something like I don't really give a shit about that. Like that's not something... I don't, I don't need to rehash that a million times over. So I would rather know what drives you, you know? Um, yeah. So thank cool. you. I appreciate well, it. Yeah. Thanks for doing this. Thanks so much for your time. You're very welcome. Thank you for your time. Uh, with that, everyone listening, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, be safe, blue skies, fun jumps. Bye. Woo.